If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 21 through 25? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 through 25. Uh, just a short message this morning. When I read the text, I'll be reading it from the New Living Translation. Uh, but as always, we'll have it up on the screens for you or you can follow along in whatever translation you uh, regularly read from. Uh, Would you stand before we get into the message this morning? I just want to pray that the Lord would open our hearts and our minds, keep us awake. Amen. And uh, I know some of you are hungry and ready to go, so hang in there. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Uh, for this time that you've given us. I pray uh, that you would give us open hearts and open minds. Help us to be alert and awake, uh, ready to receive the, the, the word today. I know, Lord, that you set up divine appointments, and so nothing happens by uh, chance uh, or by accident. But I believe, Lord, that you've got divine appointments with us this morning uh, and that you want to minister to us. And so, Lord, we pray, have your way. Speak to every life. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So in 1896, a man by the name of Charles M. Sheldon penned the words of what has become a classic, inspirational, and best-selling novel called In His Steps. In this book, Sheldon retells uh, one of the regular sermon series he used to uh, read at Sunday evening gatherings. It is the story of a local church whose members actually pledged for an entire year not to do anything at all without first asking themselves the question, what would Jesus do? If he were here in my place, what would Jesus do? If he had to make the decision I'm about to make, what would Jesus do? Now, following our Lord's example brought great joy to this small town congregation, but it also brought them misunderstanding. It brought them conflict. It brought them difficulty. It actually meant that since they took this seriously and since they were asking themselves this question, it meant the entire dedication of money, talent, career, and influence to the cause of Christ. Listen, over a hundred years later, in his steps, it swept the world like wildfire and it became responsible for the most widely recognized acronym in all of Christianity, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? Anybody remember the jewelry, the bumper stickers, Um, We saw the t-shirts, we saw those four letters, good four letters, uh, everywhere. And of course, uh, you know, all of that stuff came from that, because of that book. And years later now, it has somewhat faded. But listen, the concept behind the popular WWJD fad and Sheldon's original work is actually found in 1 Peter 2.21, the beginning of our text, where Peter says that Jesus is your example. Say example. Jesus is your example, and you must follow in his steps. This phrase, again, is just a small portion Uh, from an entire paragraph that Peter dedicates to what Jesus has done for the entire world. Thank God for what Jesus has done, amen? And is continuing to do in the lives of those who love and follow him. And that's really our text this morning. So let's go there and read it together. Uh, Beginning at verse 21, the Bible says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Ouch. 
just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in what? In his steps. Verse 22 says he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. Verse 23, he did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God. I wish I could always leave things in the hands of God who always judges fearly. Verse 24, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now, say now, you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. That's a powerful text. Text about Jesus, what he did, how he lived his life. It actually provides for us three pictures of Christ as an example for us to follow. And I want us to focus in on those three pictures or, or por portraits. It's as if Peter uh, used three different brushes to literally, literally paint this text for us. And so we would say with the first brush, Peter paints Jesus as our standard in life. So let's begin with that thought. Jesus is our standard. Aren't you glad to have Jesus as your standard? In verse 21, Peter explains that Christ himself is our example, so we must follow in his steps. In other words, Jesus is the standard by which every man, woman, and child is measured. And so all that Jesus did on earth as recorded in the four gospels is an example for us to follow. And Peter actually reminds us in verse 22 that Jesus never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. And so Jesus was and is the supreme spotless human being. We like to say the God-man. He was 100% God and 100% man. And even while he was abused, insulted, humiliated, and nailed to the cross, he never once retaliated in kind, never acted out in anger or even righteous indignation when all that was happening to him. Instead, he loved the ones who hated him. He prayed for the ones who actually pierced him. How do you react when someone insults you? How do you respond when you feel like someone you love has betrayed you? Do you leave your case in God's hands like Jesus did? And, and do you look anything like Jesus when people hurt you? Most of us, if we're honest this morning, we don't always. We don't. Anybody here remember uh, the story, the movie, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, of Beauty and the Beast? Beauty and the Beast. Any, raise a hand if you have heard, seen, know what I'm talking about. Uh, maybe you watched the Disney movie at some point. There was a time when the Beast's face, if you know the story, when, when the Beast's face was handsome and he, his palace was pleasant. Uh, that was before the curse, of course, before the shadow of darkness fell across the castle and a castle of the prince, and when the darkness fell, he hid. And so while scheduled, uh, secluded rather, in his castle, he was, he was left with this glistening snout, curling tusk, and a very bad mood, the beast personified. But all that changed when the girl came. She was stunningly gorgeous, 
contagiously kind, beauty personified. If ever two characters lived up to their names, it was beauty and the beast. And yet somehow the beauty saw beyond this hairy, drooling, roaring exterior of the beast. She saw something worthwhile in the beast. And so she did what? She fell in love with him. And because the beauty loved the beast, the beast became more beautiful. The story might sound familiar. And, and not just, just because it's a, a Disney movie or a fairy tale. It should be familiar because whether you realize it or not, it's, your, it's many of your stories. And my story too. See, apart from Christ, there's a beast inside of you inside of each one of us. And yet it wasn't always so. See, there was a time when humanity's face was handsome and, and the palace was pleasant, but that was before Adam and before the curse of sin, before the shadow of darkness fell across the heart of Adam. And ever since the curse, we've been different apart from Christ. Beastly, ugly, defiant, angry, See, we, we, we do things we, we know we shouldn't do, and then we wonder why we do them. But then, then came Jesus. Then came Jesus, full of grace and truth. See, he loved us enough to become one of us. It's what we celebrate here in a couple of months. Now he reaches into our hearts, and he gives us a new spirit. Apart from Christ, no one living today is capable of measuring up to the standard that Jesus set. So thank God for Jesus. Sinners really need a Savior, not necessarily a standard. And yet, when we let Jesus into our hearts... There's a change that takes place inside of us. How many of you would say that you're not the same person you used to be because of Jesus? See, when you accept Jesus, when you invite him into your life and into your heart, you become more like Jesus to, and you desire to follow in his steps. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit helps us to accomplish. The Bible says that you can do nothing apart from Jesus. And when you try, you fail. And when you try, you maybe fall on your face. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, once said, a Christian should be a striking likeness of Jesus Christ. So we should be a picture of Jesus. God help us. The Bible says in Romans 8, 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, Robert J. Morgan once explained this verse by telling the story of a heavyset woman who went to an exercise and diet clinic one day. The first thing the trainer did, I was mortified when I read this, the first thing the trainer did was he drew a silhouette in the mirror in the shape that the woman wanted to become. She stood before the mirror and she bulged over her over the silhouette, but the instructor reminded her, he told her, our goal is for you to fit into that shape. And so for weeks upon weeks, the, the woman dieted and she exercised and, and each week she would stand before the mirror, but, her vo but although her volume decreased, it still overflowed. I know what it is to overflow a little bit. Some of you do too. 
And so she, she exercised even harder and, and dieted even more rigidly. And finally, one day, to her delight, as she stood in front of the mirror, she was conformed into the image of that silhouette. Good for her, right? But see, it takes time and trust in the work of the Holy Spirit for you and I to conform into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. It takes time. It takes time. You know, uh, the discipline of carrying your cross, facing the pain and trials of this life, those, those things actually conform us into His image. The very things you complain about. The very thing that we want an escape from. That one day something comes your way and you're like, God, I didn't ask for this. Why is this happening to me? Why are you allowing it? And many times what you're, what you're seeing is you're receiving the answer to your own prayer that, uh, you know, you, we, we sing songs all the time and, and they're either a lie or they're truth. And, and do you sing and do you desire to be more like Jesus? And so if you want to be more like Jesus, you have to follow the plan. You have to follow God's plan for you, the process for your life. And that process may not be pain-free. That process may not be free from uh, just the things that we face and the challenges that we face. But Jesus has a plan for your life and he works all things together for your good. See, what Jesus is by nature, you and I can be by grace as we follow in his steps. And so the first painting we have of Christ is in our text is that Jesus is our standard in this life. And now removing his second brush from his painter's apron, Peter next paints uh, Jesus as our substitute in death. Say substitute. I don't know if you realize it, but that in and of itself is a miracle. The fact is, you and I, uh, because we are sinners and because our sin separates us from God, uh, we deserve damnation and, and we were headed for hell before our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's just the fact. Some people don't like to talk about that side, but that's the, the reality. But Jesus is our substitute. Anybody happy that Jesus is your substitute? Listen to what Peter says in verse 24. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. We need healing from our sin. We need healing from the things that separate us. And Jesus, he, he personally, he came, he was born, he lived a sinless life. And every step of the way, every single day while here on planet earth, he was carrying upon himself, his purity was meeting with our filthiness and he became our substitute. Deliberately, he said, you know what? I will take their sin. I'll do it, I'll take it. This is where the correlation to beauty and the beast, it ends because see in the fairy tale, the beauty just kisses the beast. And what happens? The beast turns back into the prince, right? Something happens, magical happens. But in the Bible, the beauty does so much more for you and I. So he actually becomes the beast so that the beast can become the beauty. Jesus traded places with you and I. 
And today, because of his mercy, his forgiveness, his grace, you are the beauty. The Bible says you are the apple of his eye. He traded places with us. Remember, we like Adam were under the curse, but Christ took away the curse. He changed places with us. He put himself under the curse. The sinless one took on the face of a sinner so that we sinners could take on the face of a saint. Now, scholars refer to this a changing of places as this big phrase. It's the doctrine of substitutional atonement. Jesus carried our sins in his body and by his wounds you are healed. He traded places with you in his best-selling book, uh, Next Door Savior, Max Lucado captures the concept of substitutional atonement in a chapter that he entitles The Trash Man. Listen to this. Max Lucado here, there he describes a, a soot-stained city with darkened alleyways and broken clouds whose citizens, all the people in the city, they carried, they lugged behind them large, extra-large, hefty-sized trash bags. And they, they suffer from aching backs and stiff shoulders and raw hands all because of the, these extra-large bags. An old man is seen, his face ravished with, with wrinkles, carries a bag full of regrets. As a, as a young father, he remembers that he worked too many long hours, but his children don't love him. A teenage girl, she carries the, the trash bag full of rage, rage at her father, rage at her mother. Another woman, she slings a sack of shame, too many hours in the hands of wrong men. Last year, last night, covered in shame. And then a young man in his, in his 30s comes to town. He was, he was tall with, with angular cheeks and bright, uh, bright, kind eyes. Unlike everyone else, he doesn't bear any garbage. He's not carrying any junk. He doesn't have any at all, so no trash to speak of. And one by one, he invites the people to meet him at the landfill Friday afternoon so that they can give him their trash. The landfill is tall with trash, with hope just, just barely outweighing hopelessness. People begin to, to, to flock to that site. All you could see is paper and broken brooms and, and old beds and rusty old cars. The, the line of people is so long leading up to the landfill, all waiting in silence, stunned by what they hear next. All of a sudden, they hear a scream, a, a pain-pierced roar that hangs in the air for moments, interrupted only by a groan, and then another scream. He screamed. As they draw nearer, they know why. The man, he, he literally kneels before each person, gesturing to, toward the sack, offering a request, then a prayer. He would say, may I have it so that you can never feel it again. 
And then he bows his head and he lifts the sack. And what does he do? He doesn't, doesn't just lay it aside. He takes that sack full of regret, full of brokenness, full of all of these things, and he just empties the contents upon himself. The selfishness of the glutton, the bitterness of the angry, the possessiveness of the insecure. In that moment, he feels what they felt. As if he'd lied or cheated or cursed his maker. One woman hesitates, but his eyes compel her to step forward. He reaches for her trash. He takes it from her with his head down. He empties her shame upon his shoulders. As you can imagine, he is disappearing. The garbage is overwhelming. The garbage is going up almost above his head. And with his head down, he empties her shame, looking toward heaven with tear-flooded eyes, he screams, I'm sorry! I'm so sorry! But you did nothing, she cries. Still, he sobs just as if, just as she sobbed into her pillow a hundred nights before. And that's when she realizes that his cries are her cries. Her shame is his shame. And with her thumb, she touches his cheek. And for the first time in a long time, she has no trash to carry. See, Christ was wounded that you and I might be healed. He died so that you and I might live. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. That's what Jesus paid. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus offers you. That's what substitutional atonement is all about. And so in life, Jesus is our standard. In death, he is our substitute. Now Peter paints a picture with one last brush, revealing that Jesus is our shepherd in heaven. Jesus is our shepherd. This is the third portrait of Christ. Again, Peter writes in verse 25, go there again. You were like sheep that wandered away, but now you have come back to the shepherd and protector of your soul. See, every single lost sinner is like a sheep that has gone astray, ignorant, lost, wandering, in danger, away from the place of safety and unable to save themselves. But then Jesus came along and said, I am the good shepherd. I am. In John 10, 27 and 28, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. I think the image of Jesus as our shepherd has been burned into the mind of almost every Christian. We can almost see Jesus sitting in a, in a, in a Palestinian a pasture, holding his staff in one hand and lightly petting the head of a little lamb with the other. It is said that shepherds in the east, they could actually name each one of their sheep and that the sheep would respond to the shepherd calling their name. And so they followed their shepherd just as you and I are called to follow our Savior. When we place ourselves under Jesus' care, we discover true freedom in Him and in Him and through Him. See, our own, uh, fr 
On our own, we are frantically seeking for security. Even though the the threat of death overshadows us, but in Christ, you and I can find eternal life, and He freely gives it to us. Yet freedom in Christ does not mean being left uh, to our own devices, thank God. But instead, it means we are living within the boundaries of His plans and directions. God has a plan and direction and purpose for your life. As our shepherd, Jesus promised total protection. That doesn't mean bad things won't happen. Because they will. And that doesn't mean that trials won't come because they do. Rather, it says that Jesus is your protector all the way through it. He's the protector of your soul. See, many Christians go through life never really certain of their salvation, always feeling as if they are one mistake away from being unforgiven, from crossing the line, from going too far. But our salvation and security is not found in our own ability or in our performance, but in the strength of the shepherd to keep us safe. Worship team, come. Keegan, hallelujah. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Somebody want to hit the lights? Uh, Corey Ten Boone once put it this way. When Jesus takes your hand, listen to this. When Jesus takes your hand, he keeps you tight. When Jesus keeps you tight, He leads you through your whole life. When Jesus leads you through your life, he brings you home safely. And so with this threefold painted portrait of Jesus before us, it is no wonder that we can call him Savior today if we follow him, if we trust in him. If we live for him, see in life, Jesus is our standard, the example we must all follow in death. Thank God, Jesus is our substitute. He is the spotless lamb of God who bore our sins on his body on the cross. And in heaven, Jesus, right now, he is our shepherd, the guardian of our souls. And for all of us, following Jesus means following him one step at a time, and one day at a time, making a deliberate choice, intentional, be intentional about this, to daily surrender your whole life to Jesus. I need that, you need that, as we follow Jesus together. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you don't give up on any of us that no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, we can still call on the name of Jesus and be saved and be healed and be delivered. You're a good God. You love us with an unconditional love. And this morning, I believe, you know, these are divine appointments. You are talking to your people. You are speaking to your children. And Lord, I know that if there's, there's any even one person here who does not truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that maybe today is the day they'll consider it. 
I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about going through the motions. I'm talking about deliberately and intentionally saying yes to Jesus. I surrender. I recognize you as Savior. You made a way for me. You took care of my sin problem. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Take control of my life every area of my life not just half not just some all all to Jesus Father we surrender all to Jesus we gladly bring Father take every life Father help to shape us into the image of your son Jesus and help us to be encouraged today that Jesus is our standard Jesus is our substitute and Jesus is our shepherd. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. amen. Let's close in worship.